I need your prayers. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. If you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn there, read with me. And while I mentioned that, I would encourage you to bring a Bible with you. Everybody, everyone ought to have their own personal copy of God's Word. God has made that possible for us, and uh, I'm thankful for that. And I will have something more to say about that in just a few moments. We underestimate the privilege that God has given to us in being able to own uh, God's Word, to hold it in our hands, to read it and study it, to delve into the great riches that are there that God has given to us. 1 Timothy 4, verse 9, Paul writing to Timothy says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Now he repeated that phrase, or he, he spoke that phrase in the first chapter of this book, I believe in the 15th verse, where he said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Lost friend, listen today. God's Word demonstrates over and over and over the reason that Christ came to this world was to save lost sinners. We need to understand. We as believers need to understand and a lost world needs to understand that God loves lost sinners. He doesn't love sin, but he loves the sinner. And it's his purpose, his plan, to redeem a lost race, to save them from the awful destruction that is to come. This is a faithful saying, Paul said. Everyone ought to receive it, that Christ came to save sinners. And he said, I am the chief. I'm the chiefest among sinners. He went on to say, if the Lord can save me, you know, if I found grace in the sight of the Lord, anybody can be saved. I feel that way today about myself. If the Lord will take the time to save Lynn Stapleton, he will save anybody. And that means you. A faithful saying that God has placed within our hands. Verse 10 says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach. Now, he's speaking about Timothy, the young minister. He's talking about Timothy suffering and himself suffering. For therefore, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially or particularly those that believe. These things command and teach. Verse 12 says, Let no man despise thy youth, I want to take my thought from this lesson, but be thou an example of the believers. In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, which the, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting 
may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. That's reading to the end of the chapter. I'm going to take my thought from the 12th verse. Be thou an example of the believers. I'm going to title my message today, Committed Christianity. Now, I had no idea a couple of weeks ago when I began to speak to you about creative Christianity that I would title my message the next Sunday, Courageous Christianity. I certainly had no idea that this one would follow. But it, it seems logical. Brothers and sisters, I hate to say this, but for most missionary Baptists, logic seems to be a strange thing to incorporate into our faith. But I believe God is logical. I believe God is the author of logic. Sound, wise thinking. And I want you to give some thought today to this, this subject, this, this message, committed Christianity. First, we need to explore the reason why we need committed Christianity. Paul began in this fourth chapter by saying that the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter day some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. What he's talking about here is in a later time, and he's writing to this young minister, Timothy, and he's challenging him in his faith, in his Christian life, in his service to God. And he's warning him about the, a time that's going to come when people are going to depart from the truth. And we'll find warnings about such things all the way through the New Testament. God's Word warns us about being careful not to embrace uh, unsound thinking, unsound doctrine. It warns us about... Uh, lying spirits, about antichrist and, and things of that nature. Peter warns about it. John warns about it. Paul warns about it. Jesus Christ warns about false prophets and lying spirits in his own ministry. And here, Paul is doing the same thing to young Timothy. Let me back up just for a moment. Notice what Paul said in this verse 12. First of all, he said, let no man despise your youth. Young people, I, I want to say to you, this message isn't particularly designed for you. It's for all of us. But Paul's message here was to a young minister named Timothy. And while Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus are specifically called uh, you know, the, the uh, pastoral epistles, pastoral letters, they are designed to help young ministers Everything in these books is not preacher-specific, but it's for all of us as believers in Christ to learn from. And we can learn and we can grow from the message that Paul is sharing with this young minister. 
It is believed that, that, that Timothy was about 30 years of age, a young man. And he's writing to Timothy and, and challenges him, listen, don't be discouraged and, and, and don't let anybody despise you because that, that you're young in, in the Lord. Because you're young uh, physically. Paul goes on here and tells Timothy about this idea of forced celibacy, of abstaining from marriage. And this was an idea that, that began from within the church. Someone with um, uh, good intentions decided that it would be a good idea for ministers not to get married. Paul was just such a man. He never did marry. But his was a voluntary celibacy. And church, listen today that God's Word, His inspired Word, does not teach celibacy anywhere in it. What it teaches is chastity. And there's a huge difference there. And, by the way, this idea is not just for people in the ministry. Chastity is a lesson that is, is given to us by God for every single one of us to understand and know and practice. God has given us a, a wonderful gift. Now think with me. If God intended for us to be celibate, how in this world can Genesis then tell us to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth? How would we populate the earth? God has given us a design to be able to do that. And God's Word commends marriage in all of its beauty and glory, not celibacy. We couldn't know that without reading and studying God's Word. Paul gives another example of abstaining from meat. And in his time, it was a serious problem. I'm satisfied that in the marketplace, much of the meat that they would eat had been through some of the temples. The, the idolatrous temples had been sacrificed to false gods. And, and many of the early Christians, they were troubled about eating those meats sacrificed unto idols. Paul didn't have a problem with it. He just received it as a, a blessing from God meant to nourish his physical body. He didn't have a problem with where it came from. He didn't ask any questions. Some did have a problem with it. It was a problem for the early church. And this idea was passed off on Christianity as being a proper thing to do to abstain from meat. And brothers and sisters, I've got to say the same thing possibly about alcohol. We've done the same thing. Our covenant says that we're going to practice total abstinence. And you know what? I believe that is a wise decision that our forefathers made. But I want you to understand what God's Word teaches is not abstinence, but temperance. Temperance, voluntary self-restraint. That's a challenge for all of us, but that's what God's Word teaches. Another heresy that has been passed off is self-righteous separation from the world. You know, as I thought about this, I'm kind of tempted in that direction myself. Especially in the times that we're living in, I thought, you know, for a while, it might be good if some of our states succeeded from the union. Maybe to, to, to provide a 
a holy state where people of faith and, and holiness can go and live and separate themselves from sinners. But, you know, that's contrary to what God's Word teaches. God's Word doesn't teach separation so much as it teaches holy living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. I said already God loves sinners. And what a lost world that's living in darkness and separated from God needs is light. They need spiritual light. And where is that light going to come from if it doesn't come from you and I who know the truth and are living the truth and living and serving God? We have to be careful in this world that we're living in not to let the worldliness and sinfulness rub off on us. It's a real challenge to be holy in this sinful and crooked world. But that's what God's Word challenges us to do. In fact, go into all the world. Wherever, wherever people live and whatever ungodly circumstance they're living in, we're to go into all the world and let our light shine for the glory of God. Holiness is what God's Word teaches, not separation. God's Word doesn't teach pretentious vows of poverty either. I've heard that preached. There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with money. In fact, the matter is the church of Jesus Christ could use a little money to, to help spread the gospel into all the world. And, and God would have us a, as believers in Christ to be just as wise and, and diligent and faithful a, a, as we can possibly be and make all the money that we possibly can, but then turn around and use as much of it as we possibly can for the honor and the glory of God. God's Word teaches good stewardship, not vows of poverty to use what God has given to us, every, every bit of what God has given to us, to use it for the honor and glory of God. These are the heresies that Paul is warning Timothy about that's going to come in latter times. And we've seen them, and there are many, many others. Many others. There are scientific heresies that the world has bought into that God's Word doesn't teach. That's enough of that. Be thou an example of the believer. Of the believer. This word, example, literally what Paul is, is telling Timothy to do is to model Christianity. To be a pattern for the believers, uh, and a pattern is something that you make every other one after that just like it. Jesus Christ was the pattern for us all, was he not? And you and I are to pattern ourselves after, after Christ. And it's necessary, brothers and sisters, that the world be able to see Christ in us. And what Paul is literally doing here is he's challenging Timothy to be a model of the faith. Paul is challenging Timothy to be a model of the faith. Be a model of the believer in word. And I believe he's talking about the word of God. How are we going to do that if we don't know what thus saith the Lord? Paul said this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
It also tells us that there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works lest any man should boast. These are basic things that we as Christians need to be able to share with a lost world and we're to be models of the believers in the Word. In the Word of God. And then he said in conversation. Wait a minute. Word, conversation, aren't they the same thing? No. No. What he's talking about is our conversation. God's word says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now this isn't just about profanity, but it includes profanity. That you and I shouldn't be guilty of talking about any evil thing. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. I don't know why it is, brothers and sisters, people think that, that cursing and swearing makes you feel bigger, makes you look bigger, makes you look important. It doesn't do anything of the kind. The fact of the matter is it belittles people. And you know, Peter cursed and swore in order to, to attempt uh, convincing that, that crowd that, that he wasn't a Christian, that he hadn't been with Christ, the very thing that he did is he cursed and he swore to demonstrate, I haven't been with them, I'm not one of them. That's exactly what he did. And nothing, nothing betrays us as Christians as profane and perverse speech. Paul said, Timothy, be a model of the faith in your conversation." Model, the, model, the, model your convictions in love. By the way you love, God's Word challenges us. The, the great commandment in the law is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus added one to that, and He said the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That first table of commandments is about our love, our devotion, our life for God. And the second table of commandments is about our love and devotion to our fellow men. If we love God, if we loved our fellow men, what evils would vanish from our world? Jesus said a new commandment I give unto you, that you love the brethren. As I have loved you, even so love ye one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. I believe what Paul is talking about here too. By these things, everybody in the world will know that we are believers in Christ. James said, faith without works is dead. Show me your faith without works. He said, I will show you my faith by my works. And we're to be a model of the faith. We're to put our faith in action. Do we believe that God will save lost sinners? Then God would have us to be a witness to them, to share with them what we know about Christ and Him crucified, and to warn the world that if they continue in the way they're going, they're going to hell, sure as the world. Be a model of the believers in your faith. Put your faith into action and in purity. How are we going to do that? How are we going to be what Paul is challenging us to be? Well, brothers and sisters, God has given us some things to help us accomplish the goal. And if we're going to be a model of the believers, I know some of you work, it, it interferes, I understand that. 
Some of you can't. Absolutely can't. But every, every opportunity that you can, come to church on Sunday. You know, and pray for the service. That's the greatest privilege that God has given to us, to pray and talk to God and pray before you come here. Pray while you're sitting here. Pray while the Sunday school teacher is teaching. Pray while the singers are singing and the preacher is preaching. It'll just get better. You know, and that's what we're here for. And we're here to get our spiritual batteries charged up to help us be the model of the believers that God would have us to be so that when we go out there, we won't find it so hard to stand up for Jesus. Come on Wednesday night, we've got classes for every age. Every age. God knows we need instruction. But personally, listen, a couple hours from now, some of you won't remember the title of my message. A couple days from now, you won't remember much of it. It's just the way it is. I'm the same way. Sermons don't fix things. This sermon isn't going to heal every, every wound and every hurt and every bruise that, that you've experienced through the week. It's not going to fix all the problems. It's not going to you know, cure what's wrong with the world. It isn't. Nothing is going to do that. God has given us the advantage of prayer. He's made it possible for us to own one of these. So that every day we could read just a little bit of it. We've been studying in Daniel. He prayed three times a day. Whatever time of the day it was, I don't know, but he prayed three times a day. Brothers and sisters, all of us ought to pray at least twice during the day. Pray when we start the day and pray when we end the day. Thank the Lord for a new day. Ask him to give you grace to get through the day. Thank him when you get to the end of it for all that he's done that day. Every day we ought to spend a little time in God's Word. Every day, if you just read three pages, there's two and one more. If you read three pages of this every day, how long would that take? You'll get to the end of it in a year's time. I began with this. I'm going to close with this. This is a faithful saying. This is a true saying, Paul said. It's worthy that we all should receive it, accept it, believe it as being true, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The Lord saved Saul of Tarsus, changed his life, made him a mighty man of God, a great missionary that wrote most of the New Testament, and he's challenging us to be a model of the faith. And lost friend, listen to me. Whether we succeed or fail, you're going to stand before God on your own. You'll have no excuse. Well, I saw brother so-and-so over there, and he was living ungodly. That doesn't matter. God's Word has been revealed to you. It's through the righteousness of Jesus Christ that any soul is going to make it to heaven. Whether the saints of God stumble and fall on their face or not, you're going to stand before God in judgment because of the witness God has given to you. Sufficient, sufficient to help you know the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of lost humanity. Don't leave here today without knowing Him as your personal Savior.